There may have been three parts to the epic saga, but according to our guest Darren Coyle, two and three sucked. So this week, we continue our deep dive on one of our favorite childhood films of all time, Back to the Future. Less than 2,000. The podcast. Should we talk about the, like, the cultural phenomenon that these movies have become in the fact that like like you said everyone you know loves the movies but also the fact that like october 26th is back to the future day Mm -hmm. and i don't know if you guys don't live in la but like five years ago when it was october 26th 2015 that was the day that marty goes to the future in the second one so like it was back to the future day and like specifically that day and Everyone around L.A. was dressing up like Marty McFly or Doc Brown. You know, like all these people who have been like obsessing about this movie for years and years. Like people who like literally like buy a DeLorean and then like soup it up to look like the actual car from the movie and stuff like that. It was like if anyone has or has not seen, they should see. There's a documentary. It's like about two hours long about Back to the Future. Part of it is about the making of the movie. But part of it is just literally about the culture surrounding it and the big super fans and stuff like that. And they interview all these people. And I mean, like there's a guy out in the Midwest in like the middle of Indiana or whatever that has five DeLoreans. He just buys, that's like his thing. He just buys mm-hmm. DeLoreans uh, because of the movie. Well, I mean, let's be honest. The only reason DeLorean was cool at all was because of Back to the Future. I mean, the company tanked right after anyway. Yeah. Back to the Future only made it better. That means it was going to tank long before the movie. I mean, <laughs> it was not a car. I finally gotten one. It's not a comfortable car. In fact, it's extremely uncomfortable to even sit in. You can't see anything. Well, it was uh it was originally supposed to be a pickup truck, by the way, and they were going to have all the oh, equipment wow. just in the back of the pickup truck. But also <laughs> I I know I noticed that Doc Brown actually in the movie explains why he picked a DeLorean because it has stainless steel. It's a stainless steel frame and it can help mm. to withstand the extreme cold of uh, the jump to through time. So basically our whole discussion thus far has pretty much been loving on this movie and talking amazingly about it and saying that it's quote unquote perfect movie and all that. Uh, but I would like to point out and I, I hope I'm not going to get you guys any like hate mail on this one or whatever, but I mean, there are some flaws in this movie that a lot of people gloss over or maybe just don't notice in the first place. Well, thanks for joining us today, Darren. We're going to go ahead and wrap this up now. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, please, Darren, in all seriousness, please nitpick away. I mean, we we love nitpicking our favorite movies. We found so many things to, to talk about with Terminator 2, for instance. Oh, yes. I listened to your Terminator 2 one. Um uh, well, first of all, at the Enchantment Under the Sea dance, when Marty McFly gets up there and starts singing Johnny Be Good, we all know that is not Michael J. Fox's singing voice. It isn't? What? It's so it's obvious, and it's bad. It's <laughs> it clearly is. like a middle-aged man singing the song. Right. And, and the thing is, we know what Michael J. Fox sounds like when he sings, because in other movies, he sings. Like in the movie Light of Day, he actually plays the guitar and sings. And we're like, oh, that's what Michael J. Fox sounds like when he's singing. Not in Back in the Future. Next, you're going to tell me that he wasn't actually playing guitar. (laughs) 
so that's like a, just a glaring like why did like why did they do it like that? They yeah. could have done it a different way, and it would have because that like just takes you out of the of the story and takes you out of the scene because you're just like he's literally rolling on the ground. The guitar is behind his back. He's on the <laughs> ground. He's thrusting. There's no way you're playing the guitar there and singing. Like no way. It's so bad. One one other kind of. I don't know if I'd call it a flaw, but it is definitely like something that kind of like no one brings up, but it is definitely a big question mark for me is they never explain how Marty and Doc Brown are friends. Why is Doc <laughs> Brown friends with Marty McFly and vice versa? Like how do they even meet, let alone <laughs> they're such good friends that Marty will go over to his to Doc Brown's house when Doc Mar Brown is not even there. Yeah. And answer his phone and use his guitar and it's like these are really good friends. It's creepy. It's known in the movie that it's even creepy a little bit that them two are friends. You know, because the principal's like, you better stay away from that Doc Brown guy. There is a newspaper clip in the in the the very beginning segment, the whole Rube Goldberg machine like mm -hmm. segment. Uh, there is a, a newspaper clipping on the wall that says Doc Brown like blows his family fortune on a, you know, on some debacle and blah, blah, blah. So I think within the town of Hill Valley, at least, everyone thinks of Doc Brown as being a, like a loser. A 17-year-old boy going over to a 60, 70-year-old Yeah, but he's got all this house. cool stuff. I mean, he's got, well, he's got all this cool stuff to lure him in, I guess. <laughs> Jeez. How did we, I love, I let, you know, that just iconic opening with that, that beautiful panning shot that you just referenced and the plugging everything in and all the way up uh, volume and just, what a great way to set the tone of the movie. I would like to point out that in the original version of the screenplay, that was not how the movie opened. They originally had the movie opening with Marty uh, pirating VHS whoa <laughs> of studio movies and like that was his like side gig he would sell them to students at school and and so he had like uh you know 20 vcrs that he was just you know copying vhs tapes all over the place and eventually they were like you know what the optics of this doesn't really look good because a we're showing him be a criminal mm -hmm. so like the first thing you know about marty mcfly is that he's a criminal mm -hmm. and second it's encouraging the thing that was quote unquote ruining the studio's business. <laughs> so you're not, so you don't want to make something that makes it cool to, you know, steal your intellectual property. That makes sense though. That, that makes sense that that would have been the reason why Marty went over to his house. If doc had all these VCRs, like that would have been his reason to go over all the time, but they, they changed that plot element. Now it's different. Yeah, using him for his VHS. <laughs> no, that's that's another good decision they made to change that for sure. And it also That'd gives you cool. the idea of who Doc Brown is with the all that just to open a can of dog food. Right. It, it's really, really well done. Um, amazing uh, opening to the movie. Just so subtle. Let's talk about Huey Lewis and the news, okay? I, I, the, the song Power of Love, the big single from this one. Um, and, and Huey Lewis, uh, first of all, I'm sure you know, Darren, that Huey Lewis is one of the judges 
uh, <laughs> when, right. at the very beginning, and, and he's the one who goes, it's just too darn loud. It's too darn loud. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I also have a funny story about Huey Lewis and his involvement in this movie. Uh, at the time, Huey Lewis in the news was super popular. They had a lot of big hits, and uh, I think it was Steven Spielberg uh, approached him and said, hey, we're putting this movie together. We would love it if you would write a song that will be essentially the theme song for the movie. And Huey Lewis said, no, I, I, I don't write uh, my songs for movies. He's like, I'm, I'm not that guy. He's like, he's like, I don't mean to be a d- but it's just like, I, I write fun, you know, radio songs. I don't, I don't know if I could write a time machine song. And they were like, no, 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 please. We really want a Huey Lewis song to be like the main theme for the, for our movie. And he said, tell you what, I'm working on an album right now. The next song I write and record, I will send it to you. If you like it and you want to put it in the movie, fine. If you don't like it and don't want to put it in the movie, fine. I don't care either way. <laughs> so the next song he wrote was Power of Love, which, let's face it, has nothing to do with, you know, time travel or any of that, mm-hmm. which is which is kind of like that was always the thing where, like, when you first hear Power of Love, the song, it's in the first two minutes of the movie. And you're kind of like, yep. why, why are we singing about love? This is not a love story. Uh, but like, so that's how the Power of Love came about. And. And, and so they were like, we love it. We're going to put it in the movie. And so Hughes was like, okay, great. And then they were like, can you write us another song, but actually about time travel? <laughs> he was like, at which point he was like, yeah, sure. All right. And then they wrote uh, Back in Time, the, the song that plays during the closing credits. Right. Uh, but like he was definitely an unintentional player in the, in the movie that we like to know as Back in the Future actively against it I mean, yeah. like avidly against having i don't do movies i'm an artist well i don't i don't think he was saying i'm an artist he just says i'm not your guy like i don't i've never done that before i, I, sure. I don't think i'd be good at it they also had to twist his arms to do the cameo he didn't really he, really he didn't want to do that either I figured that would have been the, well, you can be in the movie okay <laughs> okay you can have the song <laughs> all right then. i'm in yeah uh so one more, uh, and this is just getting technical, really. Uh, one other flaw that I wanted to point out is what, that everyone, you know, touts it as a great screenplay and all that. Just to be technical, technically in the hero's journey, the main character needs to reject the journey and then, and then turn around and choose the journey, a la Star Wars uh, Episode Four. Um, where uh, uh, Luke Skywalker doesn't choose his journey. He rejects the journey and then, you know, his aunt and uncle get killed and then he goes, okay, I have to do this now. Um, in this mm-hmm. story, Marty McFly does not reject the journey and then choose it. He is forced into it. He's forced into the time machine and he's forced into jumping back to 1955. So he has to get, he has to save his parents' relationship. Otherwise he will die. Uh, and so that's not a choice. He doesn't choose the journey. Uh, he is forced to do it other, you know, for, for the, uh, survival for survival. For survival. Yeah. Yeah. Just, I would only, the only reason why I even bring it up is just because so many people tout the screenplay as being so perfect. I'm like, well, 
Mm-hmm. The you know couple main flaws is the hero's journey and yeah, yeah. and then they never ex- explain how Doc Brown and Marty know each other and like those are major things. I thought of another kind of flaw or something that could have been better when you were talking about the power of love and how that that doesn't really have anything to do with the plot. Obviously, love does have something to do with it in terms of his parents need to fall in love and and that's a big you know motivating factor uh, to all of this. But I think the movie could have been improved slightly if if Marty would have had a couple moments of him really like despairing and rejecting the journey sort of thing but but like you said he has to otherwise he won't exist because of the plot but if he if he would have you know his girlfriend uh if if he would have been like more motivated by her if he could have like if that could have like kept him going, you know, I don't know. Are there any moments where he looks out and takes a picture of her alone and just says like, I got to get back to Not her. That I'm aware like of. That? that would have been good. That would have been good. I mean, he says it to doc Brown. He's like, I need to get back. I've got a girl. But other than that, they could have made that like across time and space, sort of like a love so strong. You know what I mean? Here, here's the thing about like one of the, one of the earlier versions of the script, uh, it has him in nineteen eight in nineteen fifty five, and saying, "I'm you know what I'm going to hang out here in nineteen fifty five and make some sports bets and become a millionaire and just kick it," and which he could have done, you know, because like you just like you bet on a couple of games, you bet big, and you know when you know that the Yankees are going to win the World Series or whatever, and um, but then they re- and. And then, but then he goes, you know what? I can't do that. I shouldn't do that. I really need to get my parents together and get back to 85. And that would be the hero's journey, him actually choosing it as opposed, you know, as opposed to the way they do it now. Uh, but it also would have put him in kind of like a bad, unsympathetic light where, you know, like the character of Marty is just thinking of himself and his own and enriching his own life as opposed to like, those of his family and the, you know, the people that he loves and stuff. So I understand why they changed it to that. Um, I mean, it, it, because but, it, if you did it that way, you'd be, it, it's very real. You'd be showing the real conviction of humanity because there isn't a person out there that wouldn't for a split second think I could profit off this. I could make a lot of money and, and be set. But I think you can't really you can't really show that confliction. It's the same thing with like pirating the movies. I mean, everything about the early script sounds like a very normal thing that most people would do. They're just on the fringe. They're not really bad. It's just stealing a movie. It's making a few sport bets. It's you know. It's, so it's on the fringe of like doing anything really bad. But how do you do that in this movie? You you kind of can't. You, you have to have the character have that just desire to get back home, and that's it. Right. And and ultimately, that idea they used in the sequels, uh, Marty actually, when he's in the future, buys the, the, the sports almanac, and then Doc Brown talks him out of it, and then Biff ends up taking it, and that whole storyline. So I... It was a good idea. I just think they rejected it uh, as far as the first one goes. You know, you know. Okay, so Pepsi. We talked about the Pepsi product placement. Calvin Klein. Uh, is are there? You know, he's 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 wearing the Calvin Klein underwear. His mom clearly undressed him, and his 1950s uh, 55 mom undressed him and put him into bed. 
And he's, you know, it's what it says on your underwear. So she thinks it's his name, calls him Calvin throughout. Uh, are, th- are there any stories behind that? Is there any product placement stories uh, behind that? You know what? I have not heard any stories like that. Um, it could have been Tommy Hilfinger. For I, they probably chose it just because it's an actual name. Because the whole joke is that she thinks that's mm-hmm. his name. As opposed to, like, if it were, you know, Fruit of the Loom or something like that, the joke wouldn't work. Right. <laughs> no. Do, does, has, has anybody in the history of underwear ever thought you would, anybody would ever put their name on the outside of their underwear? Like, I mean, I've heard of moms, like, putting your right. initials on the tag right. when you go to summer camp yeah. or something. <laughs> Who writes Adam Wentz over and over and over on their boxer briefs or G-string. in 1955? I don't think anyone ever put their names on their underwear. So it wasn't a common thing the way it is now. And so I think, Oh yeah. It may have just been yeah, on the tag. So I think maybe she just, I don't know. I mean, the joke yeah, was yeah. your mom is catching a sneak at your underwear. <laughs> and it's a hell of a product placement. I wonder if they actually paid for that product placement or if they literally used it as the joke because it could go both ways because it's a good joke. Now, remind me, when he goes back at the end of the movie to 1985 or in part two, at any point, does 1985 version of his parents ever say, you know, there was this guy named Calvin uh, that got us together back in the, in the 50s? Is there ever? Wouldn't you remember that guy? I mean, he was a pretty big part of their life and and bringing them together. And oh, he looks a lot like our son. I mean, you just think that would have come up at some point? Does that ever? I don't think so. I I honestly don't think that they ever referenced that again. It was a big part of their lives. I mean, I mean, fundamentally, the biggest part of their life. It brought them together for marriage. Right. I know it was only like a week that he was involved, but I mean, <laughs> like Lorraine was in love but he with didn't him. Have any fo- he didn't have any photos, though. It's not like he had, they have photos to remember. I mean, you, you know, you, you would forget stuff over time. Let's be honest. I think, I think from their perspective, you know, Marty wasn't the one like pulling the strings and like getting them together. He just happened to be around at the time when, you know, when they were at the dance and he saved her from, you know, and whatever but he's playing chuck berry they'd remember chuck berry i mean they'd like remember that guy who got up and started playing that guitar and dancing I, around and yeah you teeth? you'd think that they probably would have <laughs> tried to you know bring that joke back at some point but i don't i i personally don't recall it coming back but i could be wrong if anyone's listening to this and wants to chime in in like i don't know if you guys had get you know emails or social, social media, media or at less than 2,000. So I love it. What's the dad's name, the actor who, who plays the dad? Uh, the actor that plays the dad. Chris, Crispin Glover. Crispin Glover. Well, yeah, and he's, but only for, only for the first, only for one. He tried, he tried asking for too much money in the studio, and everyone said, screw you. So it's different actor in two and three. I'm talking about the first one. He was really good. I think he, he, I, I think he, he played that nerdy 1950s. Uh, and, and and Darren's looking at you like I'm not so sure about that. Chad. Is he not in the second and third one? No. That's why he's upside. That's why he's upside down in the second one because they had a different actor and they didn't. 
Holy you know, didn't know what to do. So they really? Them. I did not know that. Wow. I didn't get a smart point out in this episode, <laughs> but I sure as hell got somebody shocked. There you go. I, I, I've always, one of my favorite scenes is when he goes in uh, in the middle of the night. Marty goes in with the, the fallout suit, the uh, you know nuclear rad suit. And then puts the headphones on him and plays the the Van Halen, I think it was. Yeah. And then he's like Darth Vader and he's doing the Darth Vader <laughs> shtick because he knows his dad's a nerd and likes the, you know, 1950s comic right. serials and all that stuff. I just, it's just one of those little charming moments of the movie. Uh, you know, of course, the, the, the skateboarding scene, just excellent. You guys have both been to that lot, I assume. Yes. Uh, I, I've been to the I lot. I have not. Actually, and I I live right down it's the street from it. It's still up. It's literally five minutes down the street. Yeah, I know. I was we just going to say, you're right there. I've been there. <laughs> Hill Valley is there. Yeah. That big that big garden and the shop fronts and the yep. clock tower yep. is is still is still. I, up. I mean, I took and, the tour uh, a long it's time ago. See. It's been a long time, but I I have been there. It's pretty it's pretty wild to to be on the lot and see some of that kind of stuff. I mean, it's so iconic. Yeah, yeah. No, you know what? That's I'm glad you mentioned that cuz that's actually something I should do. Can you wait until Remember I'm back Lone? in LA? We'll go back together. Yeah, sure. Sweet. Remember Twin Twin Pines Mall and then Lone Pines Mall? I thought that was I always thought that was a charming yeah. little piece of continuity. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh what do we think about, you know, the 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 sort of the the really uh violent beginning uh with Doc Brown getting Murdered like with an AK forty seven or something by yeah. by terrorists. I, I I mean that was pretty that's pretty for a little kid. You're like, what the heck? I didn't think it'd be this kind yeah, of movie. That is yeah. pretty violent. Yeah. I think it's more violent in hindsight than it is talking about all this because it's the movie is just the the music is light. It's a fun movie. Michael J. Fox. It, there's clear comedy in it. The way it's portrayed. The way it's played. I mean, so for me, like the darkness didn't really come out to me. I mean, the, the, arguably Dude, that was the Doc Brown was he was bleeding. He had bullets coming out of his back. He was shot in front of him. Marty's reaction. Yeah, but he survived. And he was scared. Wasn't that part of it? He was scared to go back because he's like, Doc's going to get killed, but he can't tell him because he's afraid he'll, you know, butterfly. Yeah, it. no, true. I, I, I think it's actually good because it really affects marty like immediately you hear marty scream no and it, and like and now mm-hmm. marty is not only like does he have a sense does he have a sense of loss but now he has a sense of action and purpose to like kind of like try to avoid that so i mean yeah it probably shouldn't be in a pg movie in the first you know couple minutes but at the same time uh i didn't think it was too dark for the movie i think it was actually a a good uh, aspect to the movie that kind of gives it some teeth. Raises the stakes. Yeah, especially since you're saying, since he's forced to go on the journey, it's not something he's rejected and then chooses to do. He's forced into it for survival. This is a, I mean, it's a great device to really give him more than just surviving, but also this terrifying moment that he wants to fix, which could change the outcome of of the future. Ultimately, I do want to say that, like, I really love the the movie Back to the Future and is, but like everything on this earth, it is does have its flaws, but it doesn't, you know. Uh, so I, I, I hate to call any movie perfect, um, and, and I also didn't mean to like 
badmouth the sequel. But um, I think ultimately, you know, I would like people to know that, like, I love these movies and, and they're a, a really important piece of 20th century Americana. You, you, really, you really triggered Chad by not loving the second movie. And you really triggered me by not hating the third. That's true. <laughs> <laughs>